the Arctic is an area of increasing interest for resources, transportation, tourism, and climate research. As non-Arctic nations jockey for access to the region, security for Arctic residents, the environment, and the resources it contains is a growing concern. A new Center for Arctic Security Studies just opened at Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson with an aim to strengthen international security networks and enhance research for Department of Defense priorities for the Arctic's future. Leaders for the new center join us today on Talk of Alaska. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by the law firm of Landy Bennett Blumstein, attorneys who know the people, businesses, tribes, and communities of Alaska. Landy Bennett Blumstein, online at lbblawyers.com. Are you ready to start accelerating your child's future through education? The Alaska Native Science and Engineering Program is expanding its reach with new opportunities in Juneau and Southeast Alaska. With ANSEP's Acceleration Academy, high school students can earn college credit, save thousands of dollars in college costs, and experience fun, hands-on learning. ANSEP, it's a better way to learn. Learn more and enroll at ansep.net slash acceleration. This message sponsored by ANSEP. The views expressed on this program are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Hello, it's Talk of Alaska. I'm Lori Townsend. The Ted Stevens Center for Arctic Security Studies just opened recently. The new center is one of only six DOD regional centers. Three are in Washington, D.C., one is in Hawaii, and another is in Germany. The center in Germany opened nearly 30 years ago. And before the Alaska Center opened last month, it had been more than 20 years since the fifth center was started. So what is the work of these Arctic Security Study Centers, and how do they affect national and international defense work? Joining me today to discuss the new Ted Stevens Center for Arctic Security Studies are Major General Randy Church-Key, Senior Advisor for Arctic Security Affairs at the Ted Stevens Center, and Craig Fleener is the Deputy Advisor for Arctic Security Affairs at the Center. Thanks, both of you, for being here and being in studio with me. Absolutely. It's just a joy to visit with you, and thanks for the gift of your time and really the the kind attention of your audience to reflect a little bit on America's newest uh, regional center, one that is focused on the Arctic region and one that really does intend to set a series of collab- a set of excellence and collaboration across the network of the existing established centers, as well as our security and defense practitioners across the Arctic region. Absolutely. We will dive into that and talk more about it. But I wanted to let folks know that they can also join our conversation if they'd like. Do you have questions about the future of the military's presence in the Arctic? Do you want to know how the public can access the research and analysis the center will oversee and put together? You can call us statewide at 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. In Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422. 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. So, Major General Key, please start us off by just giving us the mission behind the DOD's regional centers for security studies. And I think I may have misstated and called them all Arctic security. Yeah, no, and I, that's, I was going to clarify not, that yeah. for you. But <laughs> Thank no. you. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. And the other thing, too, I'm retired uh, Air Force, so uh, and so no longer serving active duty. I retired in uh, about just about seven years ago. 
And uh, since the time I retired, I had the opportunity uh, to lead a center of Arctic research that hosted by the University of Alaska, specifically University of Alaska Anchorage, that was funded by DHS. That was really kind of a uh, provides a lot of, uh, if you will, material for us to work work from to draw upon uh, as we establish uh, this uh, this new center of Arctic uh, security studies, benefiting the Department of Defense, its Arctic mission uh, efforts, and then specifically as a tool of both policy and security cooperation. Uh, benefits uh, the department's interest and, of course, doing that in, in close concert with our allies and partners across the Arctic. So as a, as a starting point, if I could, uh, the Department of Defense, um, after, the, after the Cold War, decided they needed to uh, really think about, they had kind of won the Cold War of how to secure the peace. And the idea was that they looked at, uh, you know, after World War II, uh, George C. Marshall was uh, the previous uh, Secretary of Defense. And previously had been served as actually the uh, the, the uh, commanding general of the United States Army, um, and uh, chief staff of the U.S. Army during World War II, and he became really the forerunner of uh, in his national leadership positions and in, in political leadership to establish, if you will, the Marshall Plan for the reconstruction of Europe to better secure the peace after World War II. So no, who would, no better, finer uh, figure to draw upon from history than, uh, than to create a new center that was going to help secure the peace in Europe after the Cold War than, again, creating a center in honor of George C. Marshall. And that really set the blueprint uh, and of, of what regional centers can do as instruments of soft power to complement hard power investments the nation is making in, in a particular region. The Marshall Center, of course, established at Garmisch Parken in Germany and uh, has, has really become a hub uh, that uh, really of convening, of, of really studies, analysis, and also of practitioner-focused education, trying to help bring uh, our allies and partners in across the European theater to, to, to closer alignment, to better understanding of the U.S. approach and also the U.S.'s leadership role in NATO helping the, those those new countries to, who are coming out of the Warsaw Pact, coming out of the former Soviet Union, to be more drawn to a, a NATO and a U.S.-led kind of complement. The, that set the boilerplate, if you will, or the blueprint for other regional centers for the department to establish, the second of which was actually inspired by Daniel K. Inouye, who helped foster the creation of the, of the Asia-Pacific Security Studies. <laughs> Easy for you to hear me to say <laughs> The Asia-Pacific Center for Security Studies located at Fort DeRussi in Hawaii. And that was really the second one in the nation's uh, you know, quiver of regional centers. Three more were established uh, in Washington, D.C. at Fort McNair, at the home of National Defense University. One focused on, on the Western Hemisphere, the Center for Hemisphere Defense Studies, now, now named in honor of William J. Perry, who was the lead architect for that particular center. And then two other ones, one focused on uh, Near East and South Asia, and another one focused on the African continent, and known as the Africa Center for Security Studies. We're the first new center in more than 20 years. Mm -hmm. And the neat thing about our center is that we are established in, a, in, a, we're established in Alaska, thankfully, as a result of legislation uh, that was uh, really championed by the Alaska Congressional Delegation, Senator Sullivan, Senator Murkowski, and, and uh, Con former Congressman Young. Uh, those three really set the, the stage through the National Defense Authorization Act in 2021, reinforced in 2022, 
to have a networked approach, that this new center being a hub and network approach, hubbed in Alaska, but networked across the Arctic region, is a privilege to lead the establishment of it. And uh, thank you for that introduction to what the centers are, and we'll drill down more about the work. Is is the new Ted Stevens Center for Arctic Security Studies a new facility, a new building at J-Bear, or are you using existing spaces there? Well, that's a great question, and first of all, is a work in progress is the best way to provide an answer. We're currently, uh, we were established on the 9th of June last year by decision by Secretary Lloyd Austin. And then I had the privilege of coming aboard as the first member of, of the center in the 23rd of August. Uh, Craig, my dear friend and champion here, uh, serves as the deputy of the center, and he came aboard on the 28th of January. And we've been adding bits and pieces uh, to of both the team and the capabilities since that time frame. We have been hosted up until very recently at 11th Air Force headquarters, very kindly provided to us as a space to work from as a small center and then having folks that are hubbed there, but also networking in a telework status, both here locally in Anchorage and also some contract folks that are supporting our establishment in Washington, D.C. Um, we are now in the process of having now been formally assigned through both legislation to the Anchorage area and through an Air, and a U.S. Air Force strategic basing decision to be assigned at Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson. That decision was promulgated on the 5th of May uh, this year. We are now in the final processes of working with Pacific Air Forces, the 673rd Air Base Wing, as well as Headquarters Air Force for an enduring facility. Right now, all roads are pointing to the former Mount, uh, former elementary school known as Mount Spur Elementary School, made 1956. Uh, they're on Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson, about three blocks from the combined headquarters of the Air Force, Alaskan Air Region, and Alaskan Command as our enduring facility. We're in the process of trying to w watch the Air Force do the transfer of that back from the school. We thank uh, Mayor Bronson uh, and the municipality, as well as, of course, the Anchorage School District, who have worked very carefully and thoughtfully to, uh, to take the school, which is closed in 2019, and working the process, is somewhat bureaucratic, somewhat laborious, to get the transfer of that property back to the Air Force roles so that we can then in, in, inhabit the space. And we're looking forward to establishing that as our enduring home, hopefully within the next few weeks, a few months at the latest. In the meantime, we're still uh, supported by 11th Air Force. We're getting ready to move into the basement of 673rd Air Base Wing Headquarters uh, until we actually can move into the school. But so we're kind of nomadic, uh, but we're getting close to hopefully being less nomadic as we get settled in the school. Having a real home. If you're just joining us, this is Talk of Alaska. And today we're talking with the new uh, leaders, the advisors for the Ted Stevens Center for Arctic Security Studies based at Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson. Major General Randy Church-Key is the senior advisor for Arctic Security Studies at the center. And Craig Fleener is the deputy advisor for Arctic Security Studies. You can join our conversations if you have a question or a comment or you want to know more about the research and the work that the center will be undertaking. Statewide, the number is 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. In Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422. 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. Because Alaska makes the U.S. an Arctic nation, it seems natural that the center would be here. It's called Arctic Studies. But there were initially nine sites considered, then it got whittled down to three, 
Talk about the other places that were considered and how Alaska was ultimately selected. Uh, Colorado Springs was where there's a base, was one of the sites originally. Right. Uh, well, thank you for that. And actually, if it helps a little bit, could we, well, I'll, I'll answer that direct, but then we'll also, there's a great a little bit of background that you might find helpful to know, but we'll answer that one straight up first. Um, there were nine original sites when when the um, when the legislation was approved for uh, in, for the National Defense Authorization Act in 2021, it gave a period uh, of reflection to the Secretary of Defense and his staff to decide whether or not you know they, he wanted to go forth in creating the center. So it did. It said may not shall uh, create a center of Arctic security studies. So Secretary Austin had to turn to his team. They established an Arctic cell. Uh, and they did a bunch of analysis. So they originally come up with nine different locations. I'm not exactly sure where all those nine were. Um, that was before I was entered onto the stage. Uh, but then uh, when I came aboard uh, as a senior advisor, yeah, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but strategically, they had whittled that nine down to three. Uh, uh, essentially Anchorage, Alaska, uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado, and Washington, D.C. The logic for those three are very diverse. If you look at the fact that you know Washington, D.C. is, of course, a hub of our, our nation's government, so it made a lot of sense for if you're looking at a center that wanted to plug into the U.S. interagency as well as all the U.S., you know, all the embassies of nations that send, send them to Washington, D.C. to represent their nations, you have a hub of activity that could create and foster the relationship. That's part of the reason why the three that were established at Fort McNair were, again, established there because they have easy access across U.S. federal government and, of course, to allies and partners who had embassies in D.C. Uh, the reason of Colorado Springs was looked at was because of uh, the, what was the time the anticipated uh, combatant command alignment for the center, United States Northern Command. And Northern Command uh, serves not only uh, as a role in defense of our homeland, but also uh, co-located with North American uh, Aerospace Defense Command, NORAD. So NORAD Northcom there at Colorado Springs at Peterson Air Force Base was a second logical place because of the way the significant role the U.S. Northcom provides in the national defense construct for defending our Arctic interests. Then, then thirdly, Anchorage, Alaska was considered because if you think about Anchorage actually is kind of a mini Washington, D.C. as far as the number of federal agencies are here. You also have a number of consulates here that represent uh, nations who have Arctic interests that have provided consulates here or consular affairs folks here. And then, of course, you have also the fact you have an Arctic indigenous community, uh, lots of headquarters here. For example, Alaska Native Corporations who have opportunity for you to connect not only with the Arctic indigenous communities, but also Alaska Native communities for the industry part of the equation because of industry's role they play in securing and Arctic security interests. So those three locations were deliberated upon, and ultimately a decision was made, rendered by the Department of Defense through an, an analytical process, said of, of those three that Anchorage made the most sense, based on the fact that you had so many similarities to what Anchorage has, just in different scale to Washington, D.C., that this was considered the, the you know winning by, by, by a nose or two, perhaps, and if you look at my horse race vantage point, uh, to be a location for, for the center to establish. It also makes sense because Alaska's America's art and salient, and the fact that you can you can connect a lot of people of the Arctic across the Arctic, and the fact that you're not only in you know a location near the North American Arctic region, if you look up in geographic, but you're also halfway between North America and, and East right. Asia along that great circle route because Anchorage is a, good, a great location to access via that. So, again, by a nose or two, perhaps, uh, but thankfully 
from our vantage point that the center was located here in Anchorage and, and enshrined not only DOD's decision, but then shortly after in the National Defense Authorization Act, enshrining us in federal law accordingly. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Uh, Craig, I want to get you in here now in the conversation as second-in-command deputy advisor. In a conversation before today's show, you emphasized that security studies includes much more than just national, national defense. What did you mean by that? Well, I think if you take a look at uh, the people that live in, operate in uh, the Arctic, there is a lot more than just defense on their mind, right? Uh, clearly, national defense is, is a high priority, but if you go to any village on the North Slope, they're worried about food security. They're worried about uh, climate security. They're, they're worried about life in general. And so when we talk about security in the Arctic, we're talking about the, the holistic approach, the, the entire picture of what makes people secure in, in their homes, in their communities. And uh, we can't just look at national defense because that's such a large topic that we would leave so much uh, un, unevaluated, I guess, uh, for people of the Arctic. And it isn't just uh, in Alaska. Our, our perspective, our viewpoint, our field of play is the entire Arctic. And there are so many differences of opinion and uh, a lot of differences in how people live and how governments uh, work in the various countries across the Arctic. And so we, we have to have a very broad approach to the word security. Drill down a little bit there. How will you coordinate with Arctic stakeholders in and outside of the United States? Well, it's a matter of reaching out. We have uh, an, an engagement and an outreach uh, section of, of the organization that will do an awful lot. Uh, Church and I have great connections across the Arctic already. We're, go- we're going to engage. We have been engaging with people in, in all of the countries. We're sort of in a uh, in a holding pattern right now with, uh, with our colleagues in Russia, of course, but uh, for the other nations, we're we're going full steam ahead with outreach and collaboration uh, for the courses that we've been offering and the uh, the symposium that we put on. We we've, we've invited folks from across the, the Arctic to participate and we're going to continue that outreach. We'll travel to communities across the Arctic and invite uh, people from communities to, to come here to participate. We we know that this is a high priority area for the people of the Arctic, and so engagement and outreach is is a, of significant importance to us. 1-800-478-8255 is the number statewide if you'd like to join our conversation today about the new Ted Stevens Center for Arctic Security Studies that's based at Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson. 1-800-478-8255 is the statewide number 5508422 is the number in Anchorage 5508422 you can also email us talk at alaskapublic.org general key in a release about the center defense secretary lloyd austin said in part quote it will address the need for us engagement and international cooperation to strengthen the rules based order in the region and tackle shared challenges such as climate change Describe what's meant by rules-based order. Who decides what the rules are when there are numerous Arctic nations and near-Arctic nations who are interested in the region? How does how does that all work? That's a great question, and so I'll give you, uh, I'll hopefully give you at least a running start at an answer. So strategically, uh, you know, if you think about the United Nations Charter, it really in the post-World War II era, it really established, quote, was the rules-based order. So when you think, when you hear that term, 
is really kind of how do nations operate in, in peaceful coexistence with each other. And ultimately, uh, the rules-based order has its origins in the United Nations Charter. Uh, you look at the Arctic region and you have an organization that has a policy implications. It does a lot of work in, in environmental, uh, addressing environmental concerns. And that, of course, is the Arctic Council. Uh, that is a, really not described in federal in any sort of federal law in the United States or any sort of international law is actually by ministerial agreement that the Arctic Council operates. But it does support essentially policy and programs that, again, enhance and really, if you will, support the rules-based order. So in this aspect, is really about how nations can resolve their differences uh, peacefully, how they can work on shared challenges uh, in, a, in a cooperative and constructive manner. And then when nations choose not to operate uh, in accordance with, quote, the rules-based order, which again goes back to that charter, is that there's consequences for that. Uh, so right now we're seeing the fact the rules-based order in Europe uh, is actually been threatened, has, has not been threatened since the end of the Second World War. The reality is uh, today that the Russian Federation has is, is conducted themselves in, against the rules-based order by its illegal and certainly very harmful and, and catastrophic effect of, of waging war a second time and in Ukraine. So that's an example where the rules-based order in Europe is actually un, in, under siege as it hasn't been for, for decades. It's being perpetuated by, a, by an Arctic nation. So what are the implications of those actions in Europe to the Arctic region? So far, we're not seeing any of that realistically on the operational side of business. But the reality is that that, that says the one in the same nation, the one in the same nation's decision maker that is making the impact and Ukraine could make such an impact to the Arctic. You know, you talked uh, a little earlier about Alaska kind of winning by a nose in the in the running for having the center based here. And I know that decision goes back a few years, but was concern or growing concern about Russia part of what um, uh, made Alaska even uh, a more important and strategic place to have the center. Was that part of the consideration at all? I, I, that would be speculation for okay. me to provide. So I'll offer a perspective sure, perhaps sure. to that. The reason the center was created uh, was was not based on the current, if you will, the current challenge that, that Russia is providing uh, in Europe and, and the implication that could be to the Arctic. It's really more thinking about uh, how to be proactive. The Arctic is a region that is a result of climate change, uh, a changing and warming Arctic, where the barriers of access have been diminishing for, for quite some time. So as a result, you know, the, there was a need from the department, their analytics of the legislation provided, to say we should probably perhaps make, take a more proactive stance uh, by creating a center that complements all the hard power investments the nation's made in and around the Arctic region to be able to provide that in a way where studies analysis, practitioner-focused education, and engagement and outreach or strategic engagement, which really combines of simulations, exercises, workshops, symposiums, field programs, where you're really getting people better fluent in the Arctic, both uh, from a standpoint of the United States, professionalizing Arctic service, but then also looking at the uh, looking at from an international vantage point. Not just the Arctic nations, but nations of Arctic interest. If you look at Europe today, there's a lot of nations in Europe that have Arctic interest, not just the Nordic nations themselves. 
The same goes in, in the Indo-Pacific, where you have such a rise of, of, of economic strength uh, across the Indo-Pacific. They're looking north, actually looking both north and south, so the, to the Arctica and Antarctica, as a region of resources to help fuel their economic engines. So to me, the department wisely thought through the aspect in concert with the legislation to provide a center that actually starts more proactively thinking about how do we better secure our interests in this region where so many more nations are becoming increasingly interested. How do we defend and protect our national interests in such a region? Mm-hmm. We're going to go to the phones for just a moment. Guy is in Valdez. Hello. Hello. Um yeah, a very uh, interesting program, and um, I am concerned that you guys, you know, meaning the military, um, have not been advising our Congress and our president on what needs to be done about our economy. Right now, we're having this inflation going on because of what's going on over there in the Ukraine and with everybody trying to find alternative fuel choices other than buying it from Russia who's attacking the Ukraine so you know we've trying to create this solidarity to uh, squeeze them their economy and in the interim we're squeezing our own economy and I think that the military should be recommending to the United States government that we need to get ourselves weaned completely off of all of these fossil fuels and that we need to um, here's another thing you know you have one system a power system that everybody's getting their electricity from all it takes is one bomb or one individual to plant a bomb at a power station and then a whole area doesn't have any we need to diversify our our electric grid we need to get off of fossil fuels the military should be saying this to to our government on a daily basis our economy is about ready to go down the toilet you know you guys should also be recommending to the united states government that they need to set up places all around the the world so that when this next epidemic comes out of one of these places that we have facilities everywhere that can get everybody inoculated because this was okay guy you're going on here with two or three different areas let's uh, try and give our experts a chance to respond a bit before we have to take a break at the bottom of the hour Uh, So the main point here is um, energy independence, I think, is what Guy's angling for, is renewables um, getting away from fossil fuels that have clearly been the result of conflicts um, in many settings. And is this something that you will be undertaking as you're doing these studies at the new Ted Stevens Center? Are energy uh, future concerns and considerations part of that equation. I know climate change is a big thing. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys. For, for the, the center. I mean, it's a big thing, of course, but especially right. in, in this work you'll be undertaking. Absolutely. So a couple of things I'd offer. First of all, thank you for the question, Guy. It was uh, in, in thank you also, Lori, for consolidating this a bit for us. 
Uh, the, the answer up front is that the Stevens Center will be conducting studies analysis looking at Arctic energy and doing this in concert with the Arctic Energy Office of the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Uh, there's a, a great center uh, that's been established there under the Department of Energy. In my pe previous life working in the Arctic Awareness Center at the University of Alaska Anchorage, I uh, worked closely with um, the Sandia National Laboratories, uh, Pacific Northwest National Laboratories, and Los Alamos National Labs in trying to think through about Arctic energy. Craig has also had some work and he had done independently before, before coming to the center. I'll allow him to comment on that. But the couple things, frankly, in the Arctic region today, grid power is a problem. The fact is that you have diesel energy that drives so much and which, of course, is not only uh, the, uh, providing uh, problems for local generation of power, the subsect if, if the, uh, you know, to the whims of transportation. Uh, if, the, if the barge doesn't get in, you don't have the fuel and therefore it becomes an emergency. But then also think about what's, what alternatives do you have to that that, have, uh, that would have a, a more enduring and less problematic footprint for Arctic energy. So, for example, the micro-reactor construct that's going into Allison Air Force Base, we get a, a small reactor that actually can be conducting and provide the grid power for uh, at that for at least half the base. Uh, you could actually replicate that construct across the Arctic. You got to do go through safely. Yeah, sure. There's a whole lot of handling you have to go through and training and professionalization. But the reality is that uh, Arctic energy is an, is a consequential part of the problem set. And it's really about thinking about how do you better secure those communities with grid power is the, is the big piece. We'll be doing studies, again, in partnership with our colleagues that are working this mission space directly. Mm -hmm. And, Craig, I want to get your thoughts on uh, kind of fleshing out more of those ideas about renewables in the future and, and moving in that direction. But we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion about the new Ted Stevens Center for Arctic Security Studies as Talk of Alaska continues statewide. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, Strong Hearts Native Helpline is a free 24-7 confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Alaska Natives. Help is available by calling or texting 1-844-7-NATIVE or using the chat icon at strongheartshelpline.org. This message is sponsored by the Strong Hearts Native Helpline. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. Today we're talking with Major General Randy Church Key, who is the Senior Advisor for Arctic Security Affairs, and Craig Fleener is the Deputy Advisor for Arctic Security Affairs for the new Ted Stevens Center for Arctic Security Studies. That's based at Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson, J. Bear here in Anchorage. 
And uh, we're finding out more about what the scope of the work will be, the research and analysis that will be taking place there. You can join our conversation at 1-800-478-8255. That's the number statewide, 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. Before the break, we had a call um, from a gentleman, Guy, in Valdez, who wanted to know about the future of energy security, specifically in weaning off of fossil fuels that has caused, have caused so many conflicts worldwide for decades. Um, And Craig, that was an area that you worked in before you came to the center. You were working in renewables. Yeah, I I think I I would address a specific part of that. And and it is looking at uh, energy production in rural communities. And that is uh, an enormous challenge because the easiest way to provide energy right now is oil in diesel generators, right? And so it's going to take a a tremendous amount of effort to uh, change that dynamic that exists all all across the Arctic, well, all across the world, really. And so uh, a tremendous amount of research is is, – being undertaken by a lot of agencies, that's that's probably not going to be a uh, focus area for for the center, but uh, we we certainly are aware of the energy issues, and we'll we'll discuss those, and we'll uh, we'll coordinate with with folks and communities with agencies on the energy issues. I think for the military, though, the uh, the the options are pretty limited, right? For the most part, the military takes the and uses the energy that's made available to them. In some cases, they produce their own energy, and in a lot of cases, they use the energy that's provided by the local grid. And so, they don't have many options. Uh, energy ends up being a tremendous cost for the military, and so they they are taking it serious. They have been taking it serious for a long time, and uh, they've done a tremendous amount of work down through the years on improving buildings and uh, reducing their own costs uh, across the board. So I think uh, the the point that Guy was making about uh, being more efficient and, and trying to uh, get off the grid is is a complicated one, and I, th- I think the military is is taking action where they can. All right. Well, thank you for that. And um, General Key, you talked a little bit about this earlier, but there's three pillars: research, analysis, executive education, and engagement on Arctic priorities. Flesh out what that looks like in practical terms on a yeah. day-to-day basis. Right. So, thank you for that. Uh, a couple things. So, number one, uh, research analysis. We're funded under an operations and maintenance sort of construct. So, in other words, we're not doing deep research and development. Research that is just conducting studies, analysis, creating knowledge products, and essentially helping to equip decision makers with knowledge products to help them make better judgment calls on how to conduct different affairs within that fit within their mission space. So right now we have a, the center has actually organized this three pillar construct of research analysis, executive education, which is we call more appropriately practitioner education, and then uh, the area of engagement and outreach, strategic engagement, if you will. Those three mission areas are in what in the granular aspects of those are comprised in a plans, objectives, and milestones, a poem uh, that we worked in the fall, in the start in the fall, finished in the early winter. Essentially, is a, a very comprehensive roadmap 
that gets us to our initial operation capacity, which is going to be on the 1st of July this year. And then one year hence, on the 1st of July 2023, full operational capacity. And actually, our POEM, actually roadmap, they'll go, if you will, another one, about 18 months beyond that, as far as programs we want to build and put in place that are there to support this aspect or tool of both policy and security cooperation. Within research analysis, for example, we have abstract form of about 25 research topics that we will build out into to some level of depth based on research analysis of those mission areas, prioritized by the Office of Secretary of Defense and aligned to the commander of the United States Northern Command. These research areas are there to equip the decision maker principally on the areas of, of, of policy, but also operational analysis. So we actually have article awareness as part of this as really comprehensively looking at, that, at the spectrum, what is, quote, article awareness looking full spectrum. As Craig mentioned earlier about the human security dimensions as, you know, things about food security, climate security, uh, and then, of course, looking at the operational awareness piece about how does a practitioner who's actually out in the mission, out in the region doing the mission, how do we reduce the risk factors that those practitioners that are actually conducting the mission would be accomplished in that research area. Education is simply, we're not competing with universities. We complement universities. We don't award degree programs in our, pro, in, our, in our center. We actually are trying to equip operators, practitioners across both the military and civilian U.S. and internationally to help them better be able to operate in and across the region. We'll learn from each other in this regard as well. And part of our efforts will be con constructing a community of uh, an academic alliance that includes the University of Alaska, but also the universities across the United States, Canada, and the Transatlantic, North, uh, Transatlantic Bridge. And last, the aspect about engagement and strategic engagement and outreach. For this, it is about bringing people together, both in person and virtually, to be able to accomplish workshops, symposiums, exercises, simulations, field programs that uh, better equip, better understand, and people get a convergence of thoughts. Sometimes when you're together working a problem solve, problem set together, you actually come up with a much better solution than people at individually working different staff cells. So it's the power of convening, if you will, in that regard. And, and would you say that it runs the gamut of everything from uh, research analysis into uh, soldiers actually in the field and, and how they will deal with various conditions in, in the Arctic, um, all the way up to congressional members and developing policy for laws that may be enacted in the future? The idea is that FS had a very broad spectrum. As I mentioned, we had 25 research topics. We also have about 25 practitioner education programs that are in the queue to be building out. In fact, right now we have our first fundamentals course with the third showing of us a five-day, 35-hour contact time called the Arctic Regional Security Orientation Course. Literally going on our way. We left the course a few minutes ago. We have smart people running the program without us being there. Um, and and then this aspect of, but you're right, it's really driven by two factors. Um, number one, what the Office Secretary of Defense wants us to, to accomplish in that spectrum from senior leaders, you know, to really the on-the-ground practitioners, prioritizing which of those tax, if we will, tasks that we need to accomplish first. The answer is, is a large set of tasks between the Office Secretary of Defense and then the commander and staff, United States Northern Command. We also have mission tasks coming to us from the United States European Command in Europe, 
as well as the military services, all of which have now have an Arctic strategy of their own, and they're actually working Arctic implementation plans to their Arctic strategies, how we support those tasks. And then not only those two geographic combatant commands I mentioned, but also the functional combatant commands, such as United States Strategic Command, United States Space Command, United States Special Operations Command, that's just three examples. So our list of customers, Lori, are, is quite, quite daunting. How do we work, prioritize most dear to least dear to tackle in those three mission pillars the things that matter most? Meanwhile, knowing the fact that we're going to be here, we're trying to federal law, so we get a long ways to work it. But we want to demonstrate urgency and also demonstrate the need to be relevant early to those mission needs. But what we've heard from yes, uh, from local commanders all the way up to senior level folks in Washington, D.C., and, and really around the world is that we need to develop expert Arctic capabilities and that it's it's important now and it's going to be continue to be important in the future. And, and this is really why the center was stood up is to help develop these capabilities and to work with practitioners on the ground. The, the last thing we want to do is basic research into general problems. We right. actually want to work directly with the people on the ground, as you identified earlier. So whether it's a soldier in the field or a pilot flying overhead, when they have a real problem that, that presents a, a, a tough scenario for them and they've worked the problem themselves and are still having difficulties, those are the sorts of problems that we want to assist on. We, we don't want to try to uh, work on problems that they've already worked on and have identified, okay, that solution won't work. We don't want to be there at all. We want to work directly with practitioners uh, on the real problem sets and, and help to, to build this expert cadre of Arctic professionals. And Craig... How, as we know, the vast majority of people who live in the Arctic, both in the American Arctic and the other Arctic nations, are indigenous people. What will their role be in helping to uh, guide both what research analysis you're doing and what that plan might start to look like going forward? Well, it's it's the perfect question because the, the way that I describe it to anyone that will ask from the lowest level uh, private in the field all the way to the highest levels of generals. If you have a problem in the Arctic, you must talk to the people of the Arctic, including indigenous people. If you want to know how to live in and work in and function in a place that you've never been or you don't know what to do when it's cold and dark and you're wet or the wind is blowing 87 miles an hour, et cetera, et cetera, you should talk to the people that live there and, and who better than indigenous people and, and other people that actually live out in the country. And have thrived. For yeah, the way I do, the way I describe it to people is: imagine if you have a search and rescue scenario, and you can't get there with your helicopter or your C one thirty or your boat or whatever because the weather's bad. Well, you can call someone from a village and say, "Hey, there, an airplane went down, or somebody got, is stuck thirty miles from your village. Can you help us?" You don't have to feed them. You don't have to clothe them. You don't have to give them a rifle. They know how to travel in their own country. Go work with the people that are out there in the country and, and you will be successful. So the, to answer your question, it is absolutely a priority to work with indigenous people. Uh, we, ha we have been and are working with indigenous people and we're going to continue to grow that partnership as we go forward. All right. Well, thank you so much. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, 
we'll learn more about the potential influence of the work that comes out of the new Ted Stevens Center for Arctic Security Studies as Talk of Alaska continues statewide. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Are you ready to start accelerating your child's future through education? The Alaska Native Science and Engineering Program is expanding its reach with new opportunities in Juneau and Southeast Alaska. With ANSEP's Acceleration Academy, high school students can earn college credit, save thousands of dollars in college costs, and experience fun, hands-on learning. ANSEP, it's a better way to learn. Learn more and enroll at ansep.net slash acceleration. This message sponsored by ANSEP. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. We're talking about the new Ted Stevens Center for Arctic Security Studies. It's one of six regional study centers uh, that the Department of Defense has stood up. Um, three are in Washington, D.C. One is in Germany. One is in Hawaii. And now one is at Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson. 1-800-478-8255 is the number to call if you'd like to join our conversation, if you have a question or a comment for Major General Randy Church-Key, the Senior Advisor for Arctic Security Affairs, or Craig Fleener, who is the Deputy Advisor for Arctic Security Affairs. 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422. 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. So of the the centers that have been around for um, the one in Germany, has been around for 30-some years, and, and uh, um, others, the last new one was more than 20 years ago. How much influence do they have on policy going forward? And and will you have sort of a direct line to Defense Secretary Austin with your recommendations and, and guidance? Or how much teeth does the work that you have that you'll produce, will? how much will it um, uh, be able to influence policy decisions by Congress? Well, that's a, that's a complicated question. So let me break it down for you a bit, if I could. Um, First of all, I think when you look at where tool in the kit bag, okay, a tool in the kit bag of the commanders, United States Northern Command, as well as Command U.S. Uh, European Command, and the other command echelons within the U.S. military. That is, of course, a business of not only policy, but also security cooperation. If you think about that, we're helping setting the stage for engagement with our allies and partners about the Arctic, across the Arctic, that includes from, you know, you know practitioners from outside the Arctic. We have the ability, because of the, of the federal, um, of, the, of the statute that we're enshrined in federal law in Section 342 and 2611, Chapter 16 of Title 10, that enables us to actually do, in coordination with our colleagues at the Department of State, whole of nation international engagement, as well as the collaboration therein. So in this regards, we provide not only through studies analysis, educational activities and engagement, the ability to help tackle tough problems, to do good things, if you will, to provide recommendations, programs, activities that benefit and support policy decisions. And if we need, as we learn these things, to make recommendations to policy. We are directly, uh, if you will, our next line of supervision uh, it is into the Pentagon. So I, my job is reportedly directly to uh, Deputy Secretary of Defense Iris Ferguson, who's the DASD for Arctic and Global Resilience. She is under the Secretary, the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Homeland Defense and Hemispheric Affairs, uh, Secretary uh, Melissa Dalton. 
who reports directly to the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, who reports directly to the Secretary of Defense. So we're in a fairly short chain of command, if you will, to the, to the Secretary with what we do in all three mission areas. The same context, though, is that we are a Department of Defense entity. So as the Department of Defense engages with the Congress, we're part of the defense team. We don't do direct influence to Congress. That goes through the department to the Congress. So we can help in supporting the department's you know, activities and influencing congressional activities as one part of that missionary, but part of the defense team, not as our, not as our own entity. The same aspects, the part of the defense team, we take and, and work with our allies and partners, and of course, helping work domestically, again, whole of nation, if you will, as Craig mentioned, to include, of course, the Arctic Indigenous community who've been there since time began. The other aspect about this, we can support the defense collaboration across the U.S. federal interagency. The neat thing about this, both Craig and I come with a long set of experiences where I was a former U.S. Arctic Research Commissioner and honored and privileged to serve in that regards in working with the Interagency Arctic Research Policy Committee. Our federal departments and agencies have been tackling the tough problems of the Arctic to include, of course, the Arctic Executive Steering Committee, led by former Ambassador uh, Dave Bolton there in the White House, and working with that interagency team for U.S. Uh, you know, whole-of-government efforts in, in providing a better day tomorrow for the Arctic than we have today. We don't compete uh, with other entities. We complement. For example, the research analysis we do is actually not intended to compete with the National Science Foundation, who does a tremendous amount of work in Arctic research. Part of what we do is when we tackle the tough problems that Craig had mentioned, first thing is a comprehensive lit review. Has this work been done before? And if it's not been done before, what part's not been done before? So that what we are putting our, our smaller resources to this, we're hitting on top dead center of the problem, not replicating work that's previously been pulled. Some of the best analysis we can do is to, is to plug in some outstanding prior research that brings that forward, that refreshes it, if you will, so that it's relevant to the operational needs of the, of the teams we're committed to serve. For both of you, when you think about the most urgent security concerns in the Arctic right now, what are they? Is it climate change? Is it Russia's aggression, concern over the lack of military infrastructure? What, what keeps you up at night? That's a great question. And I'll, first of all, um, I'm hoping that uh, what the work that we do as a center can uh, best replicate uh, the, the words of former Secretary Jim Mattis. Hopefully the work that we do can help our Secretary of Defense, our Department of Defense, sleep better at night to making sure that those adversaries, that uh, they sleep less well because of the work <laughs> that we do. Um, sorry, I want to grow up to be a stand-up comedian. You gave me a perfect shot for that. <laughs> I would offer this, and then I'd like to get some reflections from my dear friend Craig. Yes. Uh, I think most importantly for us is the, the combatant commander for United States Northern Command, uh, General Glenn Van Herc. Our job is to help equip and exercise, execute his priority concerns as he looks to shape the Arctic region from a defense standpoint to protect our nation. You know, so those things that better protect our Arctic interests and our national sovereignty – so we're a, you know, our job is to not establish those priorities, but to support those priorities of the, of the, of the command commander who's charged with providing a defense for our nation, who's also dual-headed as the North American Aerospace Defense Command commander. So literally, his team has the watch. He has the watch. Our job is to help sure that watch goes un, as uneventful as we can help make it. Lastly for us in this regard, then I'll turn to Craig, 
is that when you look to the future, for us, that there is, is a really about supporting the full range of, of missions that the, the Department of Defense, as part of the, of the, the national team, conducts in the, Arctic, in the Arctic region. So that's from the hand of help. You look at the disaster response, search and rescue, humanitarian assistance, those hand-to-help missions as one part of it. And, and those themselves are actually quite daunting. Crisis response is not only in the Arctic region, but challenge not only the logistically supporting the response, but logistically supporting the responders, just because the, the region is that has lacking infrastructure, really lacking means, how do you deploy stuff forward to be that hand to help. All the way then to the clinched fist to resolve. In order to better help if classify studies analysis, that does take a hard look at what our competitors and or adversaries posturing against us is the full range of motion, if you will, the full range of activities that we're looking to try to complement. Again, small scale, we're not a huge center, we're growing small as a, as a bit, but we will not be a huge enterprise. But what we want to be is, is a small, mighty team that does good things, as Senator Murkowski challenged to us many months ago to accomplish, and then strategically for us, support that full range of motion, a full range of options uh, in, in both classified and classified means. Craig? Craig, yes. You think, you know, your reflections on the, on the greatest con, uh, security concerns in the Arctic today and going forward. Well, I think it's a, an incredibly complex question, primarily because the the role of uh, the Ted Stevens Center is not just the American Arctic, but it's the entire Arctic. And if you take all eight Arctic Council nations or the five Arctic countries that are around the Arctic Ocean, every uh, the, the problems in each country are different, right? And so it, it becomes very complicated really quickly. Our ultimate objective, I think, has to be to keep the Arctic as a zone of peace. And, uh, and working towards that goal. And I think probably the greatest challenge to that uh, for us operating in the Arctic is really the lack of understanding of the Arctic, what it is, how to function there, how to get there, how to redeploy, how to move across it in all of the different uh, environments and climate conditions that we experience mm-hmm. and our capabilities. We, we need to improve our capabilities to do that, not just capabilities for the Department of Defense and the military, but our own individual capabilities. Uh, back to the question earlier, how do we function with, uh, with uh, and doing less harm to the environment? How do we function without a generator nearby? How do you live in and, and operate in the Arctic? And I think that then goes uh, to the last part, which is infrastructure. And uh, so if you if you wrap those three together, I think that's some of the greatest challenges we have, the lack of understanding, the lack of capabilities, and, uh, and the lack of good, solid infrastructure across the Arctic. And, and uh, in our final few minutes here, uh, again, for both of you, and Craig, if you want to um, start us off, with your long tenure in, in both the Air Force as a Major General and in the Air National Guard as Lieutenant Colonel Craig, when you look forward, what do you think we'll see for military presence in Alaska in the next decade or so? There's clearly a lack of infrastructure in the Arctic. What do you think is on the horizon? What are you hearing uh, from the Department of Defense about what may need to be happening here soon? Well, we know that uh, the Arctic has become a priority, right? We've heard it from the the commanding general of uh, NORTHCOM. We've heard it from Secretary Austin. We we hear it and see it in uh, the various service Arctic policies and, and strategies. And we're also seeing it in congressional funding that uh, there is a 
priority being put on the Arctic. The, the real question is how do you prioritize it against all the other priorities that the country faces? And so as long as the Arctic continues to be a zone of peace, I think it will get less attention. Uh, if, if there is any additional tension being placed in the Arctic, then, then it, it will get more attention and more funding. Uh, my hopes are that we, <laughs> we stay peaceful and uh, that we continue to build out our, our capabilities and our infrastructure to meet our needs going forward. General Key. Thank you very much. Uh, and first of all, it's just been a delight having this discussion. So thank you for hosting us to the conversation. We'll have you back in uh, maybe in a, a year or so when things are really underway and we can uh, drill down some more. Yeah, you can give us a report card, see how we're doing. Uh, <laughs> Strategic IC evolutionary change. We think about today, uh, the United States has placed more fifth generation fighters, for example, in Alaska and into the region that is, serves not only the Arctic but also the Indo-Pacific, more so than any other place on the planet. Uh, we actually just, uh, just a couple weeks ago had transitioned the nation from one to two uh, airborne divisions. You know, strategically, the United States uh, in World War II had two airborne divisions, the, the 82nd and the 101st. The 101st, actually, airborne division became an air assault division, you know, a number of decades ago now. So we've only had one airborne division uh, in the United States up until the establishment, transitioning of U.S. Army Alaska to 11th Airborne Arctic Division or Airborne Division Arctic a substantial implementation of the U.S. Army's Arctic strategy that was promulgated a year ago. We see, of course, not only with the Air Force and the, uh, uh, the Army, but then also Space Force with the long-range discrimination radar at clear and the ability to defend the nation from space in using the space power of our nation. Alaska and the Arctic region has uh, benefit from that. So, uh, if you will, air ground and space are places where we're seeing evolutionary changes all to the good. We're seeing now, of course, with the United States Coast Guard ability to pro promote maritime uh, dominance and to defend and protect uh, our U.S. extended economic zone. So the establishment of more icebreaking capability in the polar security cutters is, is a needed benefit uh, to better defend our own interest in our own sovereign territory need to establish uh, port access, deep water ports that are able to service the Arctic region, of course, remains an important. And thankfully, we're making a growing aspect of that. But strategically, evolutionary change will continue to be perhaps the way this is best realized over the coming decades. All right. Well, that hour went by really fast. Thank you so much to my guests, Major General Randy Church-Key, the Senior Advisor for Arctic Security Studies, and Craig Fleener, the Deputy Advisor for Arctic Security Studies at the new Ted Stevens Center for Arctic Security Studies based at Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson. Thanks to our engineer, Tobin Shelby, and our producer, Adlin Baxter, on the phones and social media today. Laura Fillion helped us out. I'm Laurie Townsend. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.
Talk of Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Today's program is available online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media. Thank you.